If you would take your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of John. For those of you that are visiting with us, thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we're now coming to John chapter 12. There, the end of uh, this chapter really is the end of what we know as the public ministry of our Lord Jesus. And when we come to chapter 13, we're going to now see the private ministry of the Lord where he spends uh, personal time with his 12 uh, disciples and then obviously moving into his betrayal and ultimately the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, for our sins. But in John chapter 1, we are told that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. He came into his creation, he came to his own people, the nation of Israel, and they received him not. And from the beginning of the Gospel of John, the focus uh, has been on Jesus and the issues of belief and unbelief. And that's really what we're presented with as we study the scriptures. Jesus Christ, will we believe or will we choose not to believe? And we see throughout this, the Gospels the national rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. Now as we come to chapter 12 at these last verses here from verse 37 to verse 50, John is going to deal again with the issue of unbelief and belief. And he's going to literally summarize what he has been trying to get across in these last 12 chapters. So let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful music and what wonderful messages we've heard through those songs, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, know you as Savior, that we would seek your face to do your will and day by day realize, Lord, how good you are and never take that for granted. Father, now as we come to your preaching of your word, I pray, Lord, that you would challenge our life and use it in our hearts to draw us closer to you. Help us, Lord, to make the spiritual decisions that we need to make today, whether it's to be saved or for spiritual growth. Lord, do a work mightily in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first section we have here in verses 37 down to verse 43 is really the, the section that deals with the topic of unbelief. And there's three things on unbelief that John is going to point out. First of all, beginning in verse 37, I want you to see that this unbelief really is not logical. Based on everything that John has, got, has taught us up to this point, he wants us to see that really, if you understand who Jesus is and everything that he did, it really is illogical to stay in your unbelief. Verse 37, he says, but there, there is this contrast here. He says, okay, I've showed you all of this and all that Jesus has done. We've showed you all of these signs, but Though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. The Bible tells us here that, they, they, that Jesus did all of these things. He did all of these miracles and that they chose of their own will 
not to believe. Now, Jesus did many miracles, but John specifically gives us seven miracles or signs showing us who Jesus is. And these people actually had the opportunity to see what Jesus could do and see who he is. Yet on their own will, their own volition, they chose not to believe. They had the opportunity in chapter 2 to see Jesus change water into wine. In chapter 4, he healed a nobleman's son. He didn't even have to go and see him. Uh, just by his own words, he healed this boy, this man. In chapter 5, we see the healing of the lame man at the pool there who had been uh, in this condition for some 38 years. And it didn't matter how long he had been in this position, this condition, Jesus was able to heal him. They saw the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6 and the walking on the water as well. And then in chapter 9, there was the healing of the, the man that was born blind when his disciples said, this man that was born blind, who sinned? Was it him? Or his parents. And Jesus said, neither. But this happened so that you can basically see my works and that you would glorify your Father in heaven. And then in chapter 11, they had the wonderful opportunity to see and hear about and know about the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. And again, these are only seven of the many miracles that Jesus performed. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see somewhere upwards to 50 miracles that are given to us and many more that Jesus did that we don't even know about. And yet these people who saw the works of Christ, they saw the great evidence that Jesus was the Messiah and yet they still did not believe. You know, there's plenty of evidence in the world today to to believe in God. There's evidence to believe in, in Jesus, but people harden their heart to the truth of God and choose not to believe. So many people in the hardness of their life, they're not worried about the facts or the evidence or the truth, but we're so often set in our ways. You can look at creation and you can see the, the hand of God. The Bible talks about God and teaches the truths and the realities of God. And one of the things that we know from scriptures is that it is the fool that has said in his heart, there is no God. It's the fool that looks at this world. Can you imagine looking at a little baby? Can you imagine looking at the creation, the order, and say, I believe in evolution? It makes absolutely no sense from a logical perspective. But these people are so illogical in their sinfulness that they've hardened their heart to the things of God. It was John Phillips who wrote on this passage, he said that uh, concerning these people that it was a deliberately fostered unbelief. Basically, it is illogical. And that's what John is telling us in verse 37. Listen, when you examine the truths of who Jesus is and what he did, it is absolutely illogical for you to stay in your sinfulness and choose not to believe in Jesus. The second thing we see about unbelief is this unbelief was prophesied in the Old Testament. Verse 38, he says that the saying of Isaiah, or excuse me, or Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, 
John tells us that their unbelief was prophesied or it was predicted by God. I want you to notice in verse number uh, 38, he says there that they believe, or verse 39, that they believe not on him. And that the idea here is that Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled when he spoke, who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? And and the picture here is that they had all the evidence and, and they had the report and they had the teaching and yet they would not, they chose not to believe. John tells us that their unbelief was actually something that God prophesied in the Old Testament. And the, and the, the significance is, is this. God was not taken by surprise. God did not send Jesus and, and say, I want him to be the Messiah and he's going to be the savior of the world. And then, and then oh, oh, I can't believe they're not believing in him. I can't believe they're not choosing him as their Messiah, that they're not running to him, that they're not turning. And yet alone, they're rejecting him. God was not taken by surprise. You know why that's so important for us as Christians today? We have to understand that God is sovereign and God is in control. And we live in a wicked, sinful world that is ruled by wicked and sinful men. But despite all that is going on in our society, God is still alive and God is still working and his purposes and his plan will come to fruition. One of the great blessings of reading this, this passage here, you know, he's quoting uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 53 there, uh, but one of the great blessings about this is knowing that despite sinful man and despite evil men, God's purposes are being fulfilled. Jesus was going to come and be the Messiah. Jesus was going to come and and be the savior. And God oftentimes even used sinful people to bring out his purpose. And we see that in these days when, when Jesus was rejected and sent to the cross, even in the midst of what's going on here, this opposition was allowing God to fulfill his purpose. And then number three about this unbelief, we see this unbelief was actually divine judgment, divine judgment. Look with me if you would, verse 40, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things, said Esaias, uh, when he saw his glory and spake of him, nevertheless among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. John tells us in verse number 39 that they could not believe. Um, verse 40, he hath blinded their, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. We see that their unbelief was a direct result of God's judgment. And actually, everything that we read here in these verses, we can see played out in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And let me encourage you to go and, and read that at some point um, when, you have, when you have time. But we want you to see what Paul, in, or in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and what John is telling us here is that their unbelief was a re or excuse me, direct result of God's judgment. But I want to be clear about this, first and foremost. I want you to realize, first... They would not believe. They would not believe. Their belief was of their own will. Notice I said that a few moments ago. They chose, at when they saw the evidence of their own will, they would not believe. And now we see that, secondly, that they could not believe. 
They could not believe. I can't tell you how important it is for us to get it in that order and understand what God is telling. First, they would not. And then secondly, as a result of their defiance to the light that God had given them, they received the judgment of God and they could not believe. The truth is, light rejected is always going to bring darkness which is a sense God's judgment upon us. Therefore, they could not now believe. And he gives us the rationale. He's quoting Isaiah chapter six. And, and when he says there that when I saw his glory, when Isaiah saw God, when Isaiah saw Jesus, it made a difference in his life. And the truth is, is when we see the scriptures, when we understand that there is a God and yet we choose to reject it, when we willfully will not believe, we ultimately bring the judgment of God in our life. It's not that God blinds people sovereignly or intentionally or arbitrarily. He hardens the people's heart. I believe that's contrary to the nature of God. But the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the truth is here, these people were presented with the truth and they hardened their heart and would not believe. And therefore God hardened their heart. We have a great illustration of this in the book of Exodus. The Bible tells us first that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And because of that, he brings the judgment of God upon his life, and therefore God in his sovereignty hardens his heart. I believe as we've preached through the Gospel of John, we see it that we cannot come to God unless God draws us to himself. And Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And God has given us light. And we have to choose to believe or not believe. And when we choose not to believe God and we reject the light that he has given us, we are putting ourselves in the place of bringing judgment upon ourselves. You know, it's very, we have to be very careful. We hear people all the time, well, I'll get saved later. I'll get saved when I'm done sowing my wild oats. I'll get saved when I'm done, you know, living my, my teenage years or my young adult years. And when I'm older and I'm done with the lifestyle I want to live, then I'll get saved. Listen, my friend, today is the day of salvation. We don't know if we'll have tomorrow and we don't know what opportunities we'll have in the future. And if you're willing to reject God today, don't believe you're necessarily going to receive him later. And God in his sovereignty, is playing out his will. And he gives us opportunity to hear the gospel and, and to receive the good news of, of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the greatest judgments of God is giving us over to ourselves. In Romans chapter one, we see that played out where uh, they know that there's a God in their heart and their spirit. They know that there's a God and yet they choose to reject them. And the Bible says that God gave them over to their own sinfulness, over the, their own selves. In the book of Judges, the Bible tells us they did that which is right in their own eyes. And one of the greatest tragedies is that when God lets us do that which is right in our own eyes and says, if that's the way you wanna go, fine, go. Fine, go. Because our ways bring the consequences and the judgment and the wrath of God upon our sinfulness. I would hate to know that God has given me over to myself and I lived according to my own will, my own desires, and my own sinfulness. I want you to understand here in this passage, as, as God 
tells us they would not believe. They rejected his light and then God hardened their hearts so now they could not believe as they experienced the judgment of God in their life. But don't miss one of the greatest tragedies in this passage and one of the greatest problems we see even in the church in the world today. Verse 32, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. The Bible tells us that there were those that amongst the Pharisees that they believed on Jesus, but they would not publicly profess him because they were afraid of what men would think. You know, there are many people that choose not to believe in God because of the influences of of men. Many people choose not to publicly make a profession of faith because they're concerned with what uh, people might think. They're worried about men. You know, even believers, unfortunately, oftentimes don't live the way that they should because they're concerned about what other people think. You know, we often equate peer pressure with uh, teenagers and those type of things. But you know, some of the greatest peer pressure we see in the world is in adults in your 20s and 30s because our world has an expectation on what you should, uh, what you sh- how you should live your life. You know, if you are, uh, if you keep yourself pure for marriage and you're 25, 30 years old, you know what the world says about you? You're weird. That, that's weird to the society today. And so people give in and say, I have to live an immoral life because I want to be accepted by men. If, if you don't drink and you don't do, um, you know, drugs and things of that nature, the world says, well, I can't believe you've never done those things. And we, we give into the peer pressure of, of men. And so we, we get involved in, in these activities because we want to be accepted by people. That's why it's very careful or very important that we protect ourselves in the environments that we go in. Uh, you know, you should protect your children and w- what environment you, who, what friends you allow them to just go off with and be with. Uh, because there's going to be peer pressure. There, there's always going to be peer pressure in life that they're going to face there. And some people say, well, you shouldn't, uh, you know, you shouldn't put them in a, you know, a box and you shouldn't shelter them and all those type of things or else they're not going to know. Listen, I'm not saying don't teach your kids. But my kids don't have to learn about sin by doing sinful things. They should learn what's right and wrong from the Bible and from their mother and me teaching them and from other people teaching them and helping them grow. You don't have to go touch a, a, an oven eye to know that it's hot. All right, and to see the consequences of being burned in order to keep yourself from putting your hand on that or touching the fire. The reality is we should protect ourselves and what environment we allow ourselves to get into because there's going to be peer pressure. And we even see that in Jesus' day. They were so concerned about the praise of men and their positions in society that they weren't willing to publicly profess Christ. How often do we do that even as Christians say though? We find ourselves in the public arena and and God's urging us and pushing us to share the gospel with somebody and we don't because we're concerned with the people that are the people that are around us. And unfortunately, many people will be in a church, even in a church setting or in life, and they're concerned about what their family thinks, and God is trying to draw them to himself, and they're concerned about the praise of men instead of serving and glorifying God. Notice again, verse 30, 42, nevertheless, there were those that could not believe, but nevertheless, there were these amongst this small group that believed, and yet they even were still concerned about the praise of men. And so be very careful because we never know what opportunities we're gonna have in the future. Don't think because you're here today, you'll have tomorrow. Don't think because you're here in this service today, you'll be in a service next week. 
when God is working in our life and gives us that light, we need to, we need to submit to him and be obedient to him. Maybe you're here today and you need to trust Christ as your savior. Don't put it off thinking you have tomorrow. Maybe you need to make a spiritual decision in your life and in your own walk with God. Don't put it off. Don't put it off and think that you have, you have tomorrow. So as John is writing about Jesus and he's coming, he deals with this unbelief. Listen, it's illogical. If you're here today and you're still debating whether there is a God and whether Jesus is God, it's illogical when you look at the proof and the truth about who Jesus is and what he did for us. And as we go through the rest of this book and you see what he did on the cross, listen, it is illogical. It is foolish to not trust Jesus Christ as your savior. And the reality is, is when you have that light and God draws you to himself, you don't know you don't know if you'll be blinded in the future if you'll be in that same position as you are today and then as we finish up this chapter here he in verses 44 and following he really focuses on the idea of believing and really more of a, a summary about what it means to believe on Jesus and so in verse 44 he tells us Jesus cried and said he that believeth on me believeth not on me but on him that sent me. So first of all, he says, you must believe on Jesus if you believe in God. And here's, the, here's one of the big struggles in our world today. Many people believe in God, but they don't want to believe on Jesus. Listen, it's not enough to believe that there's a God in order to have your sins forgiven. The Bible tells us the devils believed and they trembled. Many people today are sincere in their belief in a God. But, mo but most of them, it's a God that they have created in their own mind, in their own desires. They, they want God to be in their box. They want God to be what they want him to be. And so they've, they've developed this, this God. Hey, listen, Jesus, if you, Jesus is telling us, if you, if you don't believe in me, you're not believing in the, God of, uh, in the God of the Bible. And so don't believe today that you have a relationship with God if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. It doesn't work that way. If you want to believe in God, you have to believe in Jesus. And so many people, unfortunately, tragically in our world today, they, they reject Jesus Christ, but yet they're quote unquote religious. They go to church, they do the sacraments, they do the things that they, on their list that they've created in order to have a relationship with God. And Jesus tells us, and we'll see in, in a couple chapters, that there's only one way to get to God. And what did Jesus say? I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's basically what Jesus is saying here. You believe on me, you believe on God. You believe on God, you must believe on me. And then verse 45, and he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. And so spiritually, he's telling us, listen, if you see me, then you are seeing God. They are one in the same. And I know it, you know, sometimes it's hard to grasp the Trinity and, and the truth is no one can truly explain the Trinity and how it, all it works. But the Bible tells us there is one God and there is one Lord. And, um, and we know that Jesus is God. And he says, if you see me, then you see God. But if you reject him, then you also are rejecting God. And then number three on this section, in verse number uh, 46, he says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. So he says to believe in Jesus is to be in the light, but to not believe is to be in darkness. You know, one of the tragic, um, the tragic states of our world today is our own morality. 
our own goodness. We think that we're, we're good. You know, we hear people all the time say, you know, if you die today, will you go to heaven? Well, I've tried to be a good person. Listen, you're not a good person. Let's be honest, okay? I'm not a good person in the theological sense, in the quote-unquote religious sense. All of us are sinners, and we deserve the wrath of God. And so we, without Jesus Christ, are walking in darkness. You know who we are without Christ? We're selfish. We're prideful. We're arrogant, we're backbiters, we're gossipers, we're covetous, we're immoral. I mean, I can go on and on. The Bible says that we, we hate in our hearts, so therefore we're murderers. We don't like to describe ourselves that way because we think we're relatively good. Well, guess what? Relative goodness sends you straight to hell, all right? But to be in Christ and to have Jesus Christ as your Savior means that you're walking in the light. Now, guess what? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're, we still deal with sin and battle sin, but in Jesus Christ, we have the righteousness of God in our life. And that's what it's all about. So now, listen, I am a good person because I'm in Jesus Christ. I, I am a good person, not because of my good works, but because Jesus Christ is my Savior. And now I'm walking in the light. I love how Paul says it. He gives this list of sinfulness, and he says, that's who you were. That's who you were. That's not who I am anymore because I'm in Jesus Christ. So listen, to be apart from Christ is to be in darkness, is to be a sinner, uh, lost, not on your way to hell. But to be in Jesus Christ is to be walking in, in the light. Uh, we live in a society where, you know, there's this expectation that you treat people right and all that stuff, and most of us don't do it, and uh, to be a good person, and most of us aren't good people and, and stuff like that. And so, but we try to, you know, be charitable and do all those type of things, save the whales and all that type of things, and give people money at the corners, and we, we try to do those things and make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Listen, you can do all that you want, and without Jesus Christ, you're still in darkness. But if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, it changes everything. You see, my focus is to live for God, not in order to earn favor, but because I have it. Not in order to get a relationship, but because I have a relationship. See, I am walking in the light because Jesus Christ is my Savior. And Christ says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide or live or stay in the darkness. Verse 47, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. In verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And so he says there, to reject Jesus then is to reject God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. You must, if, in order to believe God, you must believe on Jesus. In order to see God, you must see Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to walk in the light, but to reject Jesus is to reject God. And so basically what you're saying is, God, I want you, but I don't want your son. And God says it doesn't work that way. You must receive my son in order to have a relationship with me. And that's what John has been trying to get across all throughout this book. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the way to have a relationship with God. And he's going to continue to lay that out as Christ goes to the cross. Understand, to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ is to reject God. And if you die and leave this world without receiving Jesus Christ and rejection of him, God will reject you uh, eternally and you will spend eternity in hell separated 
from God. And then as we finish up verse 49, for I have not spoken of myself, but the father which hath sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that this commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the father said unto me, so I speak. So the last thing he says here, as he summarizes this, to believe in Jesus brings everlasting life. To, br- to believe in Jesus brings everlasting life. Now I want to be very clear. When we are born, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So if we never accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we die in our sins. We will spend eternity separated from God. That is the second death that the Bible talks about. We will be cast into outer darkness, into hell. Listen, I know that imagery, people don't like it, but it's the truth. It's the reality of what the Scripture teaches. To be without Jesus Christ and to die in our sins means we'll be separated from God for all eternity. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what John's telling us here. To receive Jesus Christ as our Savior is to receive everlasting or eternal life. When I accepted Jesus Christ back in 1995, I received eternal life. And so I am saved. And that means when I die physically and leave this world or Jesus Christ returns and takes us out of here, then I will be with God for all eternity. Not because I've done something good or I've been a good person or I've been a pastor or I've done something, you know, tremendous here in this world, but because Jesus Christ is my Savior. And so when I stand before God and I have to give an account for my life, God's not going to see my righteousness or my sinfulness, but because Jesus Christ is my Savior, he's going to see the righteousness of Christ in me. Praise the Lord for that. And so John summarizes it up. So here's the proof. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And to reject Him is to reject God. To receive Him is to receive God and to receive eternal life. To receive Jesus Christ places us in the body of Christ, the family of God, and we have eternal life where we'll go and be with Him. Listen, there, it, it can't be any clearer than that. If you're here today, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. If you've chosen, chosen not to believe on Christ, then you are choosing to not believe God and not to have a relationship with him. But when you choose Christ, you choose life. You choose a relationship with God. You choose forgiveness of your sin. Praise the Lord for that.